I'm Aunt Kelly Anakin. And I'm Molly of Mitchell Sanchez. We're here to take birth control and talk about The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, and we're all out of birth control. Thanks, Trump. This is read all over your handy Handmaid's Tale recap. Blessed be the fruit. Ooh, ah. <laughs> I don't know. I love... Wake up, listeners. <laughs> Wake Good up. morning, Gilead. Oh, boy. <laughs> Ooh. All right. Uh, you know what's funny is that's a reference to for me a reference to the movie hook which is itself a reference to the movie good morning vietnam wow yeah i just watched slash sobbed through that entire movie again last night through hook yes why oh because mitch and i were having like a really like we wanted to cry day so we watched bicentennial man and then we watched hook which i did not realize that hook made you cry it makes me cry a little it makes mitch cry a bunch (laughs) it's very like father feeling for him and for me it's like oh growing up i'm sad that you know i would have trouble with this pretend food you know yeah um but but can i tell you something very interesting i learned about the movie hook yeah uh it was executive produced in part by Dodi Al-Fayed, <gasps> who is Princess Diana's lover who died with her. And it's almost the 20-year anniversary of their death. What? Yeah, so on this, August 31st. So she died 1997. This was made 91. So how much do you want to bet at some point during their courtship? He was like, hey, do you want to see this movie Hook? And she's like, I guess I would. And then Princess Diana fucking loved this movie. That's my headcanon, is that like she really liked this movie. So so if you have She's tr- like the Moira and like <laughs> Prince Charles is Robin Williams character. No. And yeah, yeah, he is, except like in the alternate universe where he like got his shit together and stopped fucking around with Camilla. Maybe. I think Prince Charles is hook. <laughs> <laughs> Unpopular opinion. Oh man. Well you know that Dustin Hoffman and uh Bob Hoskins played Hook and Smee like a gay couple, right? That was like their like yeah, yeah. headcanon. Absolutely. I love that. I think that is gorgeous so if you haven't seen hook go watch hook and we're not gonna watch it for this podcast but actually we might watch it for my other podcast shut up well we're raising money on our patreon right now to do five maggie smiths that's our twitter handle is at five maggie smiths so we're gonna do five maggie smiths movies that we haven't done before and like number one reason to do that is hook because my god like oh my god transcend like i think all the time for no reason so peter You've become a pirate. Oh, it makes me so. It makes me so sad. And also, have to save Maggie. Have to save Jack. <laughs> it's snowing. Hookie's back. Oh God, such a good movie. Ah, I disagree. <gasps> what? We that were t- movie, That movie is three movies in one, and Steven Spielberg needed to deal with whatever the hell was going on with him. <laughs> And decide. Nope, disagree. Uh, perfect I five. I agree with myself. Okay, perfect. Good. <laughs> anyway, now that we're done with Hook, the section of the podcast called Hookcast, uh, we're going to start talking about The Handmaid's Tale. The Handmaid's Tale. Historical notes on I- The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> this whole section should just be called Get It. Oh my God, yes. Get It. This is the most at Woodian thing I've ever read Loading. in my entire life. And oh I really God. appreciated it this time through because as yeah. we've discussed, when I first read it as a child, I was like, fuck this noise. I know. This is stupid. It's very frustrating the first time that you read it. But every time I've reread it since, I just get so much more out of it. And I'm honestly more frustrated, but ultimately satisfied with its inclusion. I read some really compelling analysis of it on SparkNotes because I still go to SparkNotes for all of my (laughs) half-assery needs. I think I also read that last night when I was panicking about not having a copy of it. Uh, And then I found a copy. No, I mean, it was really great. And I mean, I didn't like you know as a teenager i hated the ambiguous ending yes then this crap for some reason i felt like they were saying that it didn't happen i know like i didn't read it closely enough to understand that it was an issue of authentication right and just like they couldn't identify her they weren't saying that it didn't happen that was my first impression of it too which is funny i'd be curious to know how many of you redheads read this first and assumed it was like disavowing the whole story yeah it was a real dallas scenario for me you're young enough to remember what <laughs> Dallas like the is. Last season of Roseanne. Yeah. Uh, oh man, anyway. I don't know how to feel about that. You should feel negatively. <laughs> 
Um, anyway, so let's begin. Um, I don't really have a page number because I have a digital copy this time. But well, mine is 379. And actually, I still have my copy of the trade paperback. What? You didn't drop it on birthday week? Look, dude, my printer is messed up. I wanted to. I really wanted to. But just it didn't happen. I'm going to do it. I'm going to drop oh. it. Quick update to some birthday week stuff. Accidentally messed up the out-of-print order and had it sent to my office instead of to your home, whoever won the out-of-print shirt. So I'm sending it to you this week. And for the person who won the Hulu sweatshirt, I forgot to send it. So I will send that. Your prizes are coming. Go ahead. Okay. The mass market paperback. I'm sorry. The trade trade paperback is page 299. Great. All right. We're going to party like it's 299. Yep. 290 uh, it's 219.5 okay uh let me say that in in english it's june 25th 2195 do you give any any credence to the fact that it takes place in june uh that it's uh the name oh right i don't i don't because atwood is like i guess that's her name i don't really know yeah she doesn't care like she has literally never cared what her name is so I guess no. Because <laughs> guess who the Mary Sue of this book is? Oh boy. It is Professor James Darcy PX Soto. Piahoto. I don't know how you say that. I would say um, He's like the darkest timeline version of Margaret Atwood, yeah, in my opinion. I agree. Because he loves the double talk and Ugh. the puns, but he has to like spell it out for you. It's pretty He annoying. has to be like, get it? I'm hilarious. <laughs> Whereas Margaret Atwood is just like, get it? Get it? Like, she has fun. He's just like, we're having fun. <laughs> Parentheses, laughter, applause. <laughs> um, so let's backtrack a little bit. Work. The historical notes begin at this conference that's held in the Arctic. And the person who is introducing this talk is Professor Marianne Crescent Moon of the Department of Caucasian Anthropology, University of Denai, Nunavut. And so, this is spelled differently in oh. reality. It's Nunavut, like N-U-N-A-V-U-T. Huh. So I don't know. It's possible that this is the actual like Inuit spelling of it oh. because this is an area that is largely inhabited by First Nations people in Canada, which is something I learned on the internet. Very interesting. Thank you, internet. <laughs> but that is why you see Marianne Crescent Moon and later she talks about Professor Johnny Running Dog. Uh-huh. So this is an area that is primarily populated by First Nations folks. What's interesting, I think I read in, in the Cliff Notes interpretation of this, and I wonder if you found this interesting as well, is there are all these people grouped together to discuss Caucasian anthropology, but you can tell by the surnames, at least in our understanding of how surnames work, that they're probably primarily people of color that was something that i never noticed the nor first, did i <laughs> the first way through uh, i was too busy being infuriated but it is really interesting and i have well we're gonna get to the end but i have so many questions <laughs> i have so many questions because they do say at some point in here like that the caucasian birth rate was hit harder mm-hmm. than other ethnic groups right i am so curious because you have to assume i always assume that the Handmaid's Tale proper, mm-hmm. the, uh, what, what does he call it? Soy descent manuscript. <laughs> God, I hate him so much. Me too. I always assume that she recorded this, you know, not terribly long after the 80s, like maybe in the early 90s at the latest. But, right. you know, this is sort of um, <clears throat> right when it was published. I always felt like there was this immediacy to it where, you know, it's, it's happening like right now. So this is over what? It's over 100 years, almost 200 years. Yeah. yeah? Mm-hmm. I am so bad at mental math. I should have oh, geez, worked too. all this out. But it's been such a long time and the world has got to be so different. And I think what is kind of intelligent on Atwood's part is that she leaves so much of what this world must look like out and oh, gives yeah. you only the barest she gives you only the barest hints but she does fill in like a lot of world building gaps for the story that we've just heard which I didn't realize the first couple of times I read this because mm-hmm. we a lot of questions that we've been asking over the course of our discussion even of the show a lot of the questions we've been asking are answered here yeah no and I was like oh my god this is like the show bible like so they feel, I'm kind of I honestly kind of disappointed that nobody came forth and it's like, yo, if you read the historical notes, they tell you the answers to these. Yeah, but Except you know. for there's no answer about what the fuck Econo wives are doing or oh, why oh, there was oh, no face oh, butter. Oh, oh, 
Okay, no, yes. There is something in there here is, about Econo White. I know. Because in the middle period of Gilead, they dissolved all non-state yep. religion marriages. And I was like, no, the Econo Wives. I also wrote that down. But that's not <laughs> enough of an answer for me about what the heck they're doing with their lives. You just will not be happy until <laughs> Margaret Atwood puts out a novella about Econo Wives. <laughs> no, I don't even know that I need that. I just need someone to like face camera next season and be like, yo, the deal with the Kano wives, like very like I, I want it to be like Wonder Years style, like explaining. Or do you want directly it to be like Zach me. Morris? Like time out. Yeah. Econo wives. Exactly. One hundred percent. Just someone explain to me what their deal is. Kelly Kapowski is an Econo wife. <laughs> oh man. High demand. There's a lot of things that I hate about this conference. I love that it is people of color giving the business to these white people of old. Right. Except they're not giving them enough of the business. Oh, they're not. Gi- oh, God. This and is a very, like, Benioff and Weissian. and, like, oh my God. let's think about it from the Confederate side. Oh, my God. Have we talked about that yet on nope. this show? This is a minute for Game of Thrones quasi talk. Not even Game of Thrones. This is Confederate talk. This okay. is so HBO was like, oh, here's the follow up to Game of Thrones from Benioff and Weiss. They're going to do a show about what happened if the Confederacy won the Civil War. And everybody who understands the world we live in currently is like, what do you mean if? Um, because they weren't punished and Reconstruction was completely derailed after the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. And have you watched the news? Yeah. Have you watched it? It's such a bad idea. You know, they brought on two black folks to help them with the script and provide them the human shield that they needed totally to make this happen which i don't begrudge anybody for taking a job offered to them in entertainment necessarily i don't begrudge those people at all no like they have excellent pedigrees and entertainment and i'm sure that they are like oh yeah we can like make this work but you know and there's been a lot of people like well man in the high castle is fine but the point which is those are all white people it's made much more eloquently by ta-nehisi coates when he's like, that's fine, because the Nazis were punished before the whole world is war criminals, yeah. whereas the entire Confederacy was just reabsorbed into the Union with very little repercussions. We're still arguing about whether it's fun or okay to have a Confederate flag yeah. like at your state house. So, so yeah, I don't have time for that. And then... It very much reminds me of what Professor Piotto says, where he says, I'm cautious about passing judgment on the Gileadians. I, my goal is not to censor, but to understand. And it's like, no, like I, I understand as an anthropologist mm-hmm. and as a, student of history to try and get in that mindset but but like, you can have a healthy detachment where you're studying this and be like oh this is interesting but also it's a human rights violation yeah like why why is there still in our society so much like oh we don't know about things that are clearly human rights violations well especially here and i would imagine is the case with uh, things surrounding this confederate debate especially when there are primary sources that are like no you know handmaid's tale is a primary source that's saying no we were raped and we were hurt and uh-huh. we were treated like other and they're like well the world was better for it so it's like that's such a that's too detached that's way too it's way detached, too detached reading. And, and so benioff and weiss suffer from it and piotto mm-hmm. suffers from it and i mean this whole confederate thing is about okay brand that pretends to be progressive um no you're not like yeah cut it out oh man that's all it very comes down to. anyway anyway back to the conference um <laughs> something i thought was funny here I think a theme, a lens which which we should read this whole chapter through is how when we are so far chronologically removed from something, we can be glib. Mm -hmm. So they're talking about sort of the events that they have set up for this kind of conference to discuss Gilead. And one of the things that they're doing is a period costume sing song walkabout, which I assume is a bunch of people in like handmaid's hats and dresses like walking around singing don't you forget about me exactly that was a bad choice that still bothers me hey a really excellent choice it's kind of like you're wrong (laughs) (laughs) it's it's kind of like our podcast too in that you know we are scared because we are seeing glimpses of this kind of world in our world but we're removed enough as like quasi-privileged like 
uh, middle class people that were like, ah, fan made tale a little bit. Well, and but like this too is like, and I've totally gone to these places. Like, you know, when I was a kid, we went on vacation to like Monticello oh, yeah. and Mount Vernon. And like, there's these, you know, like living history people. Mm-hmm. And like now as an adult, I'm like, that that is inappropriate. Yeah. We... Like, I don't know that I'm even necessarily, like, opposed to the, like, the whole living history aspect, but it's, like, whose who's history are we talking about here? But it's just even the aspect that in Gilead times, people are forced to wear these kind of outfits, and now, years and years later, people are, like, cosplaying. They're like, oh, my God, funsies! <laughs> oh, my God, that's such an authentic wife outfit! Oh, my God, thank you so much! <laughs> oh, my God, you know there's, like, a photo booth where you, like, take pictures pretending <laughs> that you're in the ceremony? Ew! <laughs> you are so but right. But you can wear, like, you can wear, like, a funny mustache and big glasses. <laughs> So right. Spot on. And they have contests. And it's basically a Comic-Con. Yeah, it's Comic-Con for Gilead. That's how I understand academic conferences, right? There's co- <laughs> there's cosplaying at academic conferences. That is a little bit surprising to me that there's these, like, frivolous things. But at the same time, I mean, the International Historical Association Convention could mean a lot of things. Like That's true. You know, maybe this is where academia comes to let their hair down, you know, post-apocalypse. <laughs> that could be, because they have th- fun things like fishing and lunch. <laughs> I'm so curious what the map of the world looks like at this point. Oh, because I know. we know that Cambridge University in England is still there. Right. We know Texas exists. Yeah, we know that Texas exists and we know that India exists. Right. But we don't really know much else. Yeah. No, I found this interesting. Uh, one of the well-known studies that they quote is Iran and Gilead, two late 20th century monothreocracies as seen through diaries. So that's interesting. That means like as Gilead is formed, Iran is also still still a place mm-hmm. and is still I think this is Atwood kind of winking and saying like you know this kind of stuff will, does happen also if you want to read more about that reading Lolita and Tehran Ooh. is excellent and uh, both volumes of Persepolis are very good oh, wonderful. the movie Persepolis is also excellent great uh, Marjan Saptrapi was born only a few days after me so wow she's not a Scorpio though. okay god good. she's a Sagittarius thank god like it's like good try Sagittarius <laughs> I love that there is a talk on Krishna and Kali elements in the state Mm. religion of the early Gilead period. And I would love to read that because Mm -hmm. I love the goddess Kali. Wow. She is a demon woman (laughs) and she kills everything. Awesome. That's my favorite kind she's of lady. A, I believe she's an aspect of Siva. Oh. And Siva is the destroyer and also the creator of worlds. Mm. But Kali is like the aspect that shows up when shit gets like really fucked up. That's so interesting. So you think the inclusion of that kind of thing is perhaps uh, juxtaposing a very like female centric kind of worship to the very patriarchal interpretation of Christianity that's Gilead? Potentially, I would need to look more at what Krishna and Kali would represent right. here potentially. But the Kali elements is participation, absolutely. Oof, also yeah. just sort of like the color red and the association of like blood oh. and stuff, I would think. Oof. The other thing I wanted to point out is oh my gosh and i think this comes up later he says that the genius of gilead was synergy right that as well and what synthesis yes so what i think is so interesting here is that you've got all these people of color gathered having this conference you know and i assume caucasity is finally a minority at this point Mm -hmm. i mean we're already going in that direction maybe also like you know the ozone layer is gone okay (laughs) like it's not coming back you better get some melanin (laughs) and essentially when he says the genius of gilead was synthesis what he's talking about is cultural appropriation so now we've also come full circle where these people are essentially appropriating the culture of gilead not in exactly the same way but like you know with these like dress up Mm sing-alongs and things like that i don't know it's like you know oh like the shoe is on the other foot that's interesting i don't know i don't quite think that i agree with that necessarily i think what we're seeing here is that there's so much distance that and if we are to believe that white people are the minority there's nothing to fear Mm -hmm. at this point so they can have a more charitable view on like white people of the past because they're from a safer point i don't quite other than like the cosplay element i don't quite see them adopting Mm -hmm. elements of gilead per se but i do like that notion and we're jumping a little bit ahead here but i like that notion that piotto says where he goes no new system can impose itself on a 
previous one without incorporating many of the elements to be found in the latter. Which, and he refers to Christianity incorporating pagan elements. Mm-hmm. And what this one does, what Gilead is doing, he's saying, is incorporating, you know, racial fears and men fears of women and women this, fears of other women. This is like, also really interesting because they just had on Vulture Dystopia Week. I read it. And I I don't like pay any attention to the internet during the week because <laughs> I'm really busy like working. Weird. I was so disappointed. Mm. I was disappointed <laughs> with a Y. Okay, anyway, but I read an article that I then shared on Facebook about how dystopias don't handle racism. And I remember way back before the TV show of Handmaid's Tale came out, somebody published something saying that the book was terrible on race and all these things. And I think it's better than that article thinks it is. Like she does. Yeah. Like she, you know, she doesn't deal with it in that sense, but she does acknowledge the fact. And you talk about the relocation of the Jewish population. She talks about, look, I'm not going to go into the history of oppression of people of color in the United States, but I am going to be very explicit about the fact that that was a key feature of Gileadian rule. Absolutely. And it was premeditated. Like, there's there's a through line here. It's not as if she was just like, ah, whoopsie. <laughs> you know, she didn't forget about it. Right. She made a point to talk about it, even though it was not the you know primary meat of this book and that Mm -hmm. book would not be hers to write no i agree but anyway i just i didn't realize how much of that got addressed in this epilogue because it had been so long absolutely um, since i had read the epilogue but i was just like oh wow like maggie Yats had a plan for addressing this well, that's interesting. So in light of that article that you're referencing, which I posted on our Facebook page, you can go find it. Um, and then in your kind of revelation that Margaret Atwood is aware of race and mm-hmm. how like racist, uh, deeply held beliefs are like a foothold towards creating Gilead. How now do you think about how the TV show dealt with it, where they kind of ignore the racial cleansing aspect of it, but also, you know, uh, we only have like Samira Wiley and mm-hmm. some like some brown people also, as handmaids. Also, oh, boyfriend God. of the podcast. Boyfriend of the podcast. How could I forget you? So they've said, and presumably they've been listening to our podcast, they've <laughs> said they're going to address this in season two. Yeah. I am real curious yeah. as to how that goes. Yeah. You know, I mean, I I still think it's a better choice to not have, like, the ethnic cleansing part of it because, again, my sort of drum to beat is, like, are we employing people of color? Are they getting opportunities to participate in prestige film and television in ways that allow them to then, like, create their own stuff or, like, mm-hmm. greenlight other series? Mm-hmm. Which I agree. So I am I'm genuinely curious to see how this goes because we know I mean we know that they're persecuting Jewish people and Catholics still. Yeah. And uh-huh. I'm curious if maybe they'll incorporate some of the <clears throat> resettlement elements there. But I am, you know, and we know that we've seen at least one black commander on the show. Yeah. So I am curious because to me, the most intelligent thing would be to sort of be like, oh, here's how the racism that we're all living with right now shows up in, in Gilead. Sure. And that's interesting. That could be really because to me, I think, you know, where where shows like Confederate miss the mark is like, why not make a show about what's going on right now? Is it not uh, vital and Uh, entertaining to like not not entertaining, but it's just like if you're if your whole point is to be like, oh, no, racism is bad. It's like, yeah, it's bad. It's happening everywhere. You don't need to imagine a scenario in which uh, white supremacy is pervasive right? like just like, look at just look, look at certain at, parts of the country look at the wage gap um <laughs> by right. ethnic group and then come back and tell me that we haven't already fought the third civil war we totally. haven't uh but it's coming it's coming well let's dovetail from that to this truly horrible pun uh, as a <laughs> as Pahoto, I'm going to, I'm going to like be real fast and loose with my pronunciation of this. So you know who I'm talking about. I'm just going to avoid it. I'm going to be like Professor P. As Pee said. <laughs> Gross. So uh, Piotto opens his speech with a joke, which is normally a good idea. But his joke was this. <clears throat> I'm sure we all enjoyed our charming Arctic char last night at dinner. And now we are enjoying an equally charming Arctic chair. Uh, 
Oh God! I'm Fuck dying. Off. I'm Get dying. out of here. Also, who describes food as charming? Like, what was charming about your Arctic char? Like, did it do a little like... dance, Michigan J Frog style, before you <laughs> ate it? I don't understand how a piece of fish, which was presumably seared or grilled, could be charming. Hello, my ragtime char. <laughs> it's like a red friend of the podcast, Red Scott, has that joke about describing wines, but describing people. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Mm, this wine's real slutty. <laughs> but uh, it's a dumb joke. And and as Kelly said before, I can't remember if this was on or off mic, but she says, like, he's such a ham-fisted Margaret Atwood in that he has horrible play on words, mm-hmm. terrible jokes, and then explains them immediately well, Except then he doesn't explain the worst one, <gasps> which is, I use the word enjoy in two distinct senses, precluding, of course, the obsolete third. What? Because I looked up enjoy... There are five meanings, according to dictionary.com. Shut the front door. And the first one is like, oh, like, enjoy. Like, oh, I like that. Okay. Um, The second was, like, sexual. And, like, the third was something along the lines of, um, like, underwent an improvement. And I'm like, have they stopped boning? Is that why they're having cosplay? Well, actually, you bring up a, a great point for something that I had a question about. So I don't know the answer to what you're saying. And I think that is a, a real dumb joke. And I don't I get mean, it. They must not because only somebody who has no interest <laughs> or hope of getting laid would have made that Arctic char joke. Exactly. Absolutely. But then here's my question about another play on words that he actually uh, attributes to Professor Notley Wade. Great name. Uh, <laughs> who's his buddy in this. And he says Wade named the document The Handmaid's Tale. He names the document The Handmaid's Tale. And he, he says, when I say that, I'm sure all puns were intentional, particularly that having to do with the archaic vulgar signification of the word tail. That being to some extent the bone as it were, of contention in this phase of Gileadian society. So I think, and this may be a disgusting reading of this, <laughs> but do y'all think Notley Wade is making a sex joke about, like, tail meaning, like, get some tail, and bone meaning, like, the bone the bone of contention oh, is, like, sexual? Do. And I mean, I'm wondering if, you know, potentially... You know, the solution to whatever, because the fertility crisis was real. Right. So whatever their solution was, we're like, well, clearly we're bad at things. <laughs> um, we can't be left to our own devices. And I mean, he talks about fertility treatments at some point in this as being sort of like crude and very, you know, sort of archaic forms of dealing with the fertility crisis. I don't know. They they don't seem like a group of people who are into doing it. And that. I think that's a sex beyond, joke. Beyond even just being academics. I think it's a sex joke, but I'm genuinely curious Are what these- that what that enjoy thing implies. Like what is what is the now obsolete version of enjoy? Gosh, honestly, if we are reading it the way that your definition suggests and that they don't have sex anymore, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Wow. I wonder there are sometimes when we're doing analysis and I wonder if we like dug too deep and we're like <laughs> and margaret atwood would be like uh yeah sure whatever i just want her to be like no weirdos do you understand how old i am i don't give a fuck about anything i wrote a book on a tree that no one will ever see do you understand do you get it <laughs> do you get it Oh, God, I love her so much. One of I many... did see when you posted that thing about a 12-year-old interviewed her, I'm like, well, she'll come on our podcast. We're better than any 12-year-old. I know. <laughs> Even though that 12-year-old did a valiant effort, I just think she was either nervous or just not paying attention, but she didn't do as good of a job as I would want her to do, but good on her for even trying. Molly Sanchez, hater of 12-year-olds. No, I love 12-year-olds uh, in a very friendly, fun way. Um <laughs> Yeah, but I'm the, I'm the fun dad. They like me. Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't need their fucking approval. <laughs> and that is the approval in itself. One more truly horrible joke, and then we'll move on. They're talking about the underground female road, and he says, which is since dubbed by some in our historical wags as the underground frail road. Jump off a cliff, Pioto. I hate you so much, you fucking cheap ass open mic comic. <laughs> Fake ass professor. I hate you so much. Wow. 
It makes that voice come out of my body. No, I'm, I'm like the last time that you met, had that voice was about Chrissy Teigen for like the exact opposite reasons. Oh, she's doing so good right now. She's in Lake Como. She's having a good time. She's wearing some cool <laughs> turbans. Anyway, that was such a bullshit thing to say. The Underground Railroad, like, fuck right off. Just do that for me. Fuck right off. Ugh, does that make you as mad as it makes me? I like how the, the I, I think it's stupid, but you it's clearly struck something very deep within you. Well, it's so mean. It, it's so shitty to be talking. That would be like if they were talking about the Underground Railroad with like slaves being like, oh, the Underground Frail Black Road. Get it? <laughs> well, I don't think anybody would say that. The Black Market or like something yeah, yeah. equally no, I know. gross. I also wonder, though, if it's just a play on words where it's like female road, you would abbreviate that FR. And then they were like, oh, let's look. I don't know, man. I don't know what's wrong. With I these think people. it's saying like women are weak. Ha ha ha. Get it? Well, we are. <laughs> hey man i did a successful shoulder stand today i don't oh, know what y'all you. are talking about oh man i think about terry's shoulder stands a lot <sighs> i should come back but also it's very hard to get to san francisco at this time of the day it's okay it's there at for this you time of the day at, the, at the time that was like five hours ago but i think the parenthetical after that that says laughter comma groans is perfect <laughs> <laughs> So we get into sort of where they found this. Mm -hmm. So they found a footlocker, which they go into great detail about because it was circa 1955. (laughs) People bought the army surplus. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know what was going on. When I first read this, we've all seen freaks and geeks. Okay. (laughs) When I first read this as a 15 year old, I assumed it was like a footlocker store. (laughs) <laughs> you were like oh so it was white and black striped like yeah, a referee absolutely so they found in this footlocker 30 cassette tapes which he and professor wade had to reconstruct a <laughs> fisher price cassette player <laughs> which i had for free and they or um, they put it into like a teddy ruxpin yeah <laughs> they, named it, they named it teddy offred uh, so it was sort of the the narrative was recorded <laughs> and it was sort of embedded in other cassette tapes mm-hmm. so they had to break the tabs presumably <laughs> and um, we learned a very archaic method of putting a pencil into the little hole and kind of winding <laughs> it. so it plays two or three songs of the actual thing so that anybody who would find them from gilead presumably would be like oh this is just you know elvis music let's burn it you know what i would love is if season two began with music and it started with music and all of a sudden it's like Offred's voice going, I don't want to be telling this story. <gasps> I like, would wouldn't that, that be a haunting? Hey, Bruce Miller, we know you're listening, Puddin' Pop. Hi. And we want you to be our guest. Be our guest. Be our guest. Put, Put our, our service, service to the, the test. test. Oh, P.S. I watched the live action Beauty and the Beast on a plane. Ooh. Shout out to American Airlines for letting you watch movies for free. Uh, this was actually not American Airlines. This was Air Canada. Oh my God. Well, something, some shakeup is happening with airlines lately because I've watched a bunch of movies, mm-hmm. including that one for free on a plane. Uh, it was great. And I actually got bumped to first class on my way out of Toronto. So Girl. shout out to Canada on this podcast about you, Canadian source material. I was going to say, did you name drop? You're like, anyway, I have a podcast about Margaret Atwood. And they're like, oh, right this way, Kelly. No, um, they overbooked the flight. Oh, okay. And I wasn't sure if I was going to get on a flight. And then I was like, well, I'm just going to sit here and see what happens. And I was patient and I didn't antagonize the staff and they put me in first class. Lovely. Anyway, um, so this was not when I was in first class. This was when I was in regular ass coach and I watched Beauty and the Beast live action version. And my whole attitude about that movie is somebody was like oh remember that animated classic beauty and the beast um what if it had a plague storyline and dad jokes and i not like it did not like it (gasps) i did not like it and i love audrey mcdonald so like yeah they had to work extra hard to make me annoyed well she she's very annoying in in that movie she is well and i kept thinking stanley tucci plays her husband i thought it was sasha baron cohen I thought so as well. Um, But I was charmed by it. I don't know if it's like that uh, NPR episode where it says you like cry more on airplanes than you do in real real life. But I sobbed through that entire movie. 
I was just in a very Beauty and the Beast place, no, and I, I actually, really enjoyed I, it. I did that on the way back. What was I? Oh, I decided to watch um, Angels in America. Oh yeah, which is amazing, and you should absolutely rewatch it, America, never... because it holds up. Okay, but I, you know, oh god. Anyway, I've gone through a number of important breakups in the past year, <laughs> and. A bunch of stuff in that was very resonant for me. Excellent. But anyway, it's great. And like everybody in it is like a baby. It's like Patrick Wilson <laughs> as a baby. Mary Louise Parker Ooh. as a baby. Meryl Streep and Emma Thompson as babies. Oof. It's fantastic. Well, Al Pacino as a grizzled old man because that is what he is. Anyway, I'm sorry. I just wanted to no, no, no. talk smack about Beauty and the Beast. Which I, I enjoyed. I didn't like the costuming that much. I really liked it. I was really disappointed. Nope. Loved it. Anyway, so Bruce Miller, please take my suggestion into account and begin season two with some fade in from a music. And I'd also like to be a writer on your show. Cool. Thanks. How Bye. would you, I, Bruce Miller, I don't want to be a writer on your show at all. Um, <laughs> I want to keep enjoying the show. <laughs> what if they started out with this conference? How would you feel if they started incorporating it? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know that the audience can't see you when you hold the mic Sorry. away from your face in Sorry. disgust. <laughs> Sorry. I had to like, you ever do like a disgust stretch or you just have to like, uh, like stretch out parts of your body? No, but you're... maybe that's why I'm so stressed out all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Try it. Gosh, I do not know how I would feel if it opened with this because to me this you know what? I'm going to come down hard. I would like it. I think that's fascinating. I would love it. I I think I mean I think because I don't know as you are fond of saying they've made mm-hmm. explicit a lot of what is implicit mm-hmm. I think of this in in context of the whole story that Offred is telling us I mean this is a bunch of explicit stuff you know this this epilogue is to the book as a lot of what happens within the show is to mm-hmm the show that is terrible and i'm sorry don't think about it too much like i just feel like that didn't no, make sense no, but. No, no i think it is but i think here's what would but be it, the writing exercise with this is we would have to set up this premise that this is years and years later and things are okay without but are things down. okay right nothing in this really right like clearly the world has come to some sort of stasis right but we don't hear anything about what's happening in the former united states of america or gilead well i mean we hear some references like they recovered this footlocker from bangor maine right we hear a little bit of something hang on they reference that they found some stuff in a suburb of seattle but they don't name check and i think this is significant because they name check enough other academic professors from abroad there's apparently nobody here repping for America or Gilead. That's not true. There's a professor from the University of Texas, I believe, that they mention in this. There is a, a representative there, I believe. Let's look back. Is it the, at the end? No, I think it's when they're talking about sort of the other talks that have been happening. Here we go. This is from the presentation Thursday by Professor Singlinda Van Buren from the Department of Military History at the University of San Antonio, Republic of Texas. Oh, so, so what we do know is that Texas has seceded again. <laughs> Typical Texas. That's all they want, man. All they want to do but is I, kill brown people and not be part of America. I Sorry think to that, people in Texas. Austin, you're totally fine. <laughs> I think that you're right in that it's purposeful and not giving us a ton of clues about what the world looks like now. But I do think that it's significant, you know, if we have time and leisure to go to these conferences in the Arctic Mm -hmm. and make jokes about char and do fun sing-alongs, you can't do that if you're at war. No. You don't have time for that kind of stuff if you're at war. So something is enough point stasis, as you said. we also know, at least, you know, perhaps not the Republic of Texas, but we know that Britain was well outside of this whole Gilead thing Ah. because they make a lot of references about how the Save the Women Society (laughs) had a lot of people in Great Britain. We don't know anything about what was going on in India during this period, but India seems to continue to be India. And then we also knew that Canada 
managed to stay out of what was happening. Now, that's an interesting departure from the show where Canada seems to be the place where people find refuge well, from I Gilead. Guess that's, I think that's still true in here, but I'm just no. saying like they are not directly involved with Gilead. It's not true, actually. They say that... The- are you a man? <laughs> well, I, don't mean, I don't mean to... to Well, actually me? Yeah, I, I genuinely don't. But at least in my reading, they talk about in this that it's unlikely that Offred would have stayed in Canada because Canada not wanting to have conflict with Gilead. It says that almost explicitly Canada, not wanting to have conflict with Gilead actually submitted to some like roundups where people oh. would come back and get them. I just read this on the train on the way over and forgive me. I can't find the exact passage of it, but they do say something. So I was meaning more just in terms like that was a place that people would escape to. Right. But they were very much like, trying to be neutral or like um they, well they were enabled like if they got to a point they were trying to keep their uh, well they didn't want to start a war yeah so they had to appease conciliatory yeah. i guess is what i mean yeah no justin trudeau them mm, such a shame i heard so many great jokes in montreal about <laughs> justin trudeau it was a oh, really yeah? good time yeah that's great yep and like you said they're talking about how Alfred is part of the first wave of these surrogates, let's say. She's the first wave of these handmaids. And then there's a middle period where a lot of the things that happen in the beginning period get dismantled. It seems almost out of desperation. They get dismantled and records are destroyed. And we find <laughs> out that they they come down pretty hard on the side of Waterford, Fred Waterford being her commander. There's also a B. Frederick. Judd. 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 <laughs> and I love the Judds, but I hate that name. But that Waterford went out in one of the first purges. So like we right. get we get this sense like in the book and in the show, this sort of like beleaguerdness of Offred and the like just like uh like you know, it feels like it's been this way forever. But it's still so early in this, but I think also our short American <laughs> sense of history plays <laughs> against us here. Absolutely. Because I'm like, well, this can't last. Nothing lasts. This is America. Oh, but that's such an interesting reading. Waterford was convinced that he was unassailable and turned out not. <laughs> yeah, if if we're to believe, which I believe the book wants us to believe that uh, Waterford was the commander that we're talking about, he is, it says, discredited and liquidated shortly after the story of Offred is told. So he's gone. And that is an interesting thing to play with in the second season as well. You know, this, honestly, I think the second season needs to come from everything we learn here. And the more I'm rereading this epilogue, the more I'm realizing... Are you coming around? You coming around on season two? Mm, A little. You know, more just because I want more content because I enjoy it. But also, it's so clear to me that the showrunners took so much from this explicitly and there were times i know when we were watching the show and we're like sons jacob that was an interesting idea it's like ah that's been here the whole time you dummy surprise (laughs) oh also i just came across this while looking for something else but men highly placed in the regime were thus able to pick and choose among women who had demonstrated their reproductive fitness by having produced one or more healthy children a desirable characteristic in an age of plummeting caucasian birth rates a phenomenon observable not only in gilead but in most northern caucasian societies of the time possibly well i guess you know professor p seems like he's not white right so but i wonder also if like by virtue of being an island nation Mm. um, because they talk about most likely why the men of gilead were infertile was because they had been exposed to a virus that was being developed for chemical warfare for for the cold war which i totally missed they that's such an interesting little nugget they give us is that both of these commanders that they're talking about in addition to a bunch of the men in this world were trying to develop this poison to put into caviar to be sent to moscow that is like which is such a teeny tiny interesting detail that, that is I such missed. a dumb plan i know it's such <laughs> like, a, like a rocky and bullwinkle kind of like plan you know they were putting it out from a big jug that said acme and had like a skull and crossbones on it what a beautiful nugget of like weird information that's been there this whole time that i only found out this last reading that's fascinating i was so interesting good job i would also love it if in season two we got an introduction to wilfred limpkin (laughs) 
who is yeah. like the Samuel Peeps of Gilead. What data reference to? Okay, so Samuel Peeps was a diarist in. Oh my God, was he in? He was in Great Britain around the time that sort of like natural philosophy became a thing. He's a character in Neil Stevenson's Baroque Cycle, if any mm. other nerds are out there. <laughs> but uh, he just kept a diary, and it's a diary that survived. Mm. And he talks a lot about rogering his female servants, so probably a <laughs> giant rapist. Oh, dear. But, you know, he just he just like kept this like slice of life diary and he interacted with a lot of the luminaries of the time Mm, that's Uh, pretty interesting because if we're reading it that way limkin is sort of the secondary source exactly all of this i mean i suppose he is a primary source still in that he's writing about the time period they even talk about how he makes snide remarks about the uh commander's wife having a past as a tv personality Mm -hmm. so you're right that's an that's a whole other source like the limpkin file is like a whole other source to read this from. you know he too did not survive the purges that would be was purged very early on and they say that he you know saw it was coming and so he sent his diaries to his sister in calgary right Boy, wouldn't that be a funny bone to throw to really close book readers if they just he if the commander was walking down a hall and he's like, oh, hi, Limpkin, and just walked away. We would all scream. (laughs) Where is Limpkin? Where is Limpkin? Here I am. I'm judging you all. (laughs) Be good, Limpkin. Pardon me. And we get a really detailed description of the aunts. And they say something really interesting that I didn't notice at all and that I don't think you could possibly get from the text. No. Is that the aunts should take names derived from commercial products available to women in the immediate pre-Gilead period and thus familiar and reassuring to them. The names of cosmetic lines, cake mixes, frozen desserts, and even (laughs) medicinal remedies. Like, we don't meet Aunt Betty Crocker. We don't meet... Mary Kay or Aunt Sarah Lee like where where is this because we meet uh, Aunt Elizabeth and Aunt Lydia and that's it and I'm trying to remember I believe Lydia is a brand of cornbread but I didn't do any research Jiffy oh Jiffy that's I'm, what I'm thinking you know of the little blue box you know yeah. how I'd be an aunt I'd be Aunt Jiffy you may call and then me Aunt you- Jiffy <laughs> I love it when we have the same thought I would be Aunt Jemima just very easy <laughs> Just set up like punchline easy, so Oof. easy. Oof. Actually, because I am Hispanic, I'd have to be like Aunt Clabber Girl or something. Um, like. <laughs> or you could be Aunt Aunt Cholula. <laughs> <laughs> okay, from now on, my only name is Aunt Cholula. <laughs> Please. Aunt Jiffy and Aunt Cholula. Molly is dead. Aunt Cholula lives forever. <laughs> oh my Jonas. That has to be the name of the episode is Aunt Cholula. Anyway. <laughs> That's very funny that you, but but that honestly, the idea of giving aunts the naming convention like that really feeds into this idea that they talk about when you have women policing women, it's such a smoother transition because it has the auspice of someone looking out for your best interests mm-hmm. because you're the same sex. Yep. And it's gross. It's kind of what we've been talking about this whole time is that as soon as women start being cruel to other women and start defining who is a better woman you're fucked you're so fucked we can't have that i have been wanting to do this thing and i don't know what i would call it other than the anakin test um (laughs) is that where you find out how many like midi chlorians you have and if you can drive a pod racer because that's (laughs) the only anakin test i'm aware of uh that's the qui-gon test oh okay i want to like watch things okay if you remove men and sort of like the pursuit of male approval from this equation is there conflict between women Mm, can you give an example okay um yes (laughs) how about like i'm thinking betty and veronica (laughs) Okay, sure. I don't watch Riverdale, and I don't read Nor comics. do I. Oh, you never so, read Archie comics? What's wrong um, with I you? might have read one. Okay, fine. I can't think I'm of trying to one. think of, like, a Game of Thrones one, but also, like, I don't want to spoil for anybody, so... So, okay, okay. Actually, why don't we just take it from The Handmaid's Tale? Okay. Okay. So... Oh, perfect. Let's take Commander Waterford out of the equation. Okay? Is there, then, still conflict between Offred and Serena Joy? I would say potentially, because if we think about Serena Joy as this proponent of what she calls domestic feminism, Mm -hmm. and we think of Offred as somebody who flies in the face of domestic values 
in lots of ways, in having a job, in having an affair, Mm -hmm. then yes, there's conflict in their ideologies of what a woman should be, which comes back to our notion of when women place other women, it's bad news bears. So Mm -hmm. yes. So does that pass the Anakin test? I don't know what is a pass. I don't know what is a fail. I don't (laughs) know how deeply you have to go. Because the other question is, so if there's just no Commander Waterford, are there men, period? I don't know. Like, I don't know what the rubric is here so this is very much still in development (laughs) okay we're workshopping the the anakin test is in beta (laughs) okay mean girls okay if there is no aaron samuels yes is there a fundamental conflict between regina george and katie heron no not really see it's that kind of thing i no yeah you're right interesting Mm -hmm. okay there's some because like i mean like regina george would still potentially be a toxic personality and maybe not Mm -hmm. a great idea but they wouldn't get pitted against each other very interesting except for the fact i'll also say aaron samuels is completely blameless in that situation yeah because there's this whole game going on behind the scenes that he's not even aware of you know he's he's as devoid of personality as women tend to be in movies which i love yeah in, (laughs) in movies that feature men i love a a man as a prop um, I guess, I mean, this is not a Mean Girls podcast, but I guess you could say there would still be conflict in that Janice is setting Katie up to be this anthropologist because she's mad about Regina's treatment of her. So it's kind True. of like still girl on girl crime. To... Not a boy at all. No, but it is related to whether or not Janice is catering to the male gaze appropriately. Because the whole conflict is that yeah. Regina told everybody that Janice was a lesbian. That's right. Oh, so fascinating. Okay. Anyway, okay. I think this has legs. <laughs> I think it has legs too. So um, if you're an academic, please let me know where I can trick rich people into giving me money to study this further. Bruce Very Miller, good. I'm looking at you. Brucey Mills. Brucey Mills. How sardonic do you think Brucey Mills is? I wonder. I truly do. I bet he's not as sardonic as Maggie Atts, though. No. I bet like they go for coffee and she just... <laughs> She just sardonic circles around him. I would very much like to believe that. I'd love to be a fly on the wall. Oh, (laughs) this is another example of making things a little bit more explicit when they talk about Nick's role. They come down explicitly. Nick is an I, but also a member of May Day. And they kind of wonder, like, if Nick was worried that off Glen getting found out means that they're on the trail of May Day people and being an I wouldn't save him. They posit that... Well, he should have just killed Offred himself. But then they bring up the notion that perhaps the reason he didn't kill her and the reason he secret secreted her away is because she was they believed she, she was carrying his child. Where did they say this? Let me find it. I, I'm afraid I didn't because mark I, I'm down. seeing the part where they talk about because part okay, of why Commander Waterford was. Uh, executed was that he was harboring a subversive which they believe refers to Nick which also makes much more sense because Offred in the book is about as subversive as uh, the Bush twins so here we go it says in my version they're speaking of you know his double status and it says he could of course have assassinated her himself which might have been the wiser course but the human heart remains a factor and as we both know both of them thought she might be pregnant by him This is the telling part. What male of the Gilead period could resist the possibility of fatherhood so redolent in status, so highly prized? So instead, he called a rescue team of eyes, which may or may not have been authentic. But in any case, we're under his orders. My question is, what kind of status can it confer upon him if he is a traitor to the state? And like, does that give him status outside of Gilead? I mean, we know that, you know, that. You know, most Caucasian nations are uh, having a little trouble conceiving. So potentially anywhere he went, if he had this fresh new baby, Mm -hmm. it's still a sign. It's like, you know, the olive branch to the ark. Yeah. But sort of sign of life. I mean, this is a kid conceived entirely outside of the lawful procedure. That's true. In a relationship that is absolutely not sanctioned by the state. So even Mm. earlier middle period Gilead wouldn't be about it. You know what Mm. they don't ever talk about is late period Gilead. And I'm like, was late period Gilead just that webcomic of that dog drinking coffee in the fire? Yes. And saying, this is fine. (laughs) Genuinely, I think it was. I'm picturing some kind of gigantic. Here's what I think. The notion that they bring up again and again is that in middle period Gilead, salvagings and participations happen like four times a year, Mm -hmm. which leads me to think. At the height of their popularity. (laughs) They're like, oh boy, I can't wait. I just love that girl. Man, I hate stuff. 
stoning. <laughs> okay, Meredith, we saw that poster. But it's like uh, the fads in Gilead are fidget spinners, participation, Despacito. <laughs> uh, but what what I think if I'm extrapolating here is that if we're having these participations more and more, they say they're using them as a scapegoat so that the handmaids can kind of take out their aggression mm-hmm on this person and they can assassinate a political person at once. So we're saying that I think it's breeding, knowing what we know about how Offred feels after participation. I think it's breeding bloodlusty mm-hmm. handmaids who eventually are like, we're beating up the wrong people mm-hmm. and turn on the government. And I think that's how Gilead is overthrown. Something I think is so interesting, and you get this from Limpkin, I believe, but Judd was the one who was like, oh, let women use this to vent their rage. Mm-hmm. They knew that the women weren't going to like it. Yeah. They knew that they would have a tremendous amount of resentment. But what's hilarious to me is that they thought they could control it. Yeah. You cannot control a resentful woman. No, 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 no. Like, we don't have a lot of avenues, but we take all of the ones that we can. Oh, yeah. What I think is also funny, maybe not funny, haha, but funny, get it? (laughs) So, in the final line of this, voices may reach us from it i.e. the great darkness of the past but what they say to us is imbued with the obscurity of the matrix out of which they come and try as we may we cannot always decipher them precisely in the clearer light of our own day so he's saying this which sort of directly ties back to me to his statement about oh our our goal is not to judge but to understand mm-hmm. But he is basically excusing himself. He's like, oh, we cannot always decipher them precisely. Well, yeah, no, but you could at least come out of this and be like, hey, maybe we shouldn't dress up like handmaids. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's gross. Well, genuinely, I think that's the reason the page before or perhaps it's a few more pages before where they mention Eurydice. Mm -hmm. It's immediately before this is a person who cannot look who you can't look back on. No. You, if you looking back on it destroys it. So it's this notion that we can look but only see so much, which is it is true of history. But I think that your job as a historian and anthropologist is to try as hard as you can to see as much nuance, which I don't think they do here. She appears to have been an educated woman insofar as a <laughs> graduate of any North American college of the time may be said to have been educated. Burn! Some groans. I mean, look, I went to college and graduated in 2005. Like, that's accurate. Oh, uh, such a burn. There's this pity of her. There's a pity without empathy. Yeah. I think. And that was another thing I picked up from Spark Notes mm-hmm. where they talk about they are more excited about having recovered these documents from a commander's computer than they are at this entire account mm-hmm. of how terrible it was. Mm-hmm. They're more interested in the architecture mm-hmm. than they are in the lived experience of this woman. Uh. I, you know, I, I just have, well, okay. The final line of the book is any questions and it's just such a slap in the face and it's so great it's so great it's it's margaret knowing she's like they're gonna have questions but no (laughs) there are no answers nothing for you and i'm like if you know the right questions uh -uh. (laughs) i have a question how dare you (laughs) i want to know what is the position of women at this point and Ah. did the birth rates for caucasians rebound at all Mm -hmm. or you know was there any kind of solution to the fertility crisis absolutely that would be my question Mm -hmm. if i was at this conference i would be like what is there to stop this from happening again what have we learned from this why did you serve caviar (laughs) yeah (laughs) hey what kind of of sick joke is this (laughs) quick question uh, that chart joke was trifling. Where did you go to comedy school? You suck. <laughs> but but genuinely, I want to know what they're doing as a society other than cosplaying and singing to make sure that this kind of thing doesn't happen again. And, and I don't I don't know. Like, yeah. I don't know how much anybody can because humans are dumb. AF. I know. Because I mean, look at the world right now. There's all kinds of crazy shit going I on. Know. And we are powerless. to. St- and I'm not even talking about what's going on in North america like i'm just talking about like you know we can't stop there's all of these wars in like africa that like nobody nobody can stop them you know like it's just it's these like intra societal thing you know civil war basically i don't know why i didn't know why to say civil war (laughs) but you know you really can't intervene in a civil war 
Like yeah. people just got to fight it out for themselves. Civil you know, hand. it's like if you have two sons, you're just going to have to let them beat each other up and yeah. figure out which one of them is good at it. Civil blood makes civil hands unclean. <laughs> for sure. For sure. For sure. 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 Totally. You're so fired. Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> so do we have anything else to say about the epilogue? I'm so oh. glad we took the time to really unpack it. Me because too. There, It's a treat at the end of this book. There's enough in there. Like we've talked. This is longer than most of the yeah, other sorry. episodes. And only by a little bit. But I mean, it's so dense you get more information in those scant couple of pages because i mean so much of it is about offred's experience and being in her own head and trying to figure these things out but it's more world building than Mm -hmm. we ever get in the whole book because offred has such a limited understanding because she's in the thick of it well and if she was brought in at the beginning you know they would have been really good at preventing people from finding out a lot of this stuff absolutely you know they didn't you know they didn't really understand when congress got blown up and all this stuff and the president's day massacre exactly so they didn't understand all this stuff and then she was immediately captured and put into the rachel and leah center you know there's very little way for her to understand how the world was made and there's also something to understand about if offred's only telling this story that we know is the handmaid's tale after she's out of it though it's a primary source it has the lens of like this is several months after this is what i remember mm-hmm. from this time so it has or a little bit years. of or years it the has obscurity that i love this is hopefully the last thing that i'll bring up but i love <laughs> that they talk about i have to edit this later I, I love when he talks about they found the tapes and the tapes were not numbered they were not put in any particular order so he and his colleague whose name i'm forgetting notley wade notley wade he and notley wade had to re construct the narrative and now that makes me want to go back and reread it again because i want to see like is there an alternate way to put this together well I is want- there is there something that should be after things mm. you know i think that little note there is kind of margaret atwood justifying why there are like time jumps and digressions mm-hmm. perhaps but you're right i'd be interested yeah, i mean I, see- I don't care why they're in there like it doesn't <laughs> i'm just genuinely curious like is there an alternate construction of events yeah i'm very curious i don't too. feel like some of it obviously can't be yeah because you know like obviously she's referring to the commander and serena joy and nick by name right but did she record the stuff about moira somewhere right. else yeah could you just put everything about moira together around the jezebel's I encounter wonder. the book of moira yeah. yeah that's interesting i wonder do you think it's beneficial to reread the book before every season because i think it might be it might be at this i this literally is... have not thought about it yeah we'll think about it because yeah. i think this is the only time i've ever really understood the epilogue and you know what a year from now, I could be like, you fool, you missed this big part of the epilogue. <laughs> oh, my God. It was Chekhov's Arctic char. No. <laughs> uh, so I say the epilogue is just an incredible mining expedition and a world building expedition for mm-hmm. fans of the series. And what is cool, what I would bet you, I'll bet you a sody pop that <laughs> in the writer's room of Handmaid's Tale, they have this timeline written out where they're like, the inciting incident is the President's Day Massacre, uh-huh. which starts in like 1989. Then we go forward to the end of the first mm-hmm. era which is here which happens all these events happen in here and here's Offred's progression within this timeline and then here is the, the the dark era and so I think that the epilogue gives you so many good clues to that kind of thing mm-hmm. oh here's one last thing I know you have to edit this but I just have one <laughs> it's my fault this time but do you think that and I think they've hinted at this in the show but do you think that since the show isn't taking place in the 80s and 90s it's taking place in modern day do you think it's still going to be a tape or you think she's gonna be like recording on an iphone i don't know i mean the thing about the cassette tape is that it's a physical object right and what we know from this that they're doing a lot of purges of what digital information there is interesting i mean and there's also a very real possibility that they just don't get into that i will be 
We would be like, where's the tapes? Where's the face butter? Like, honestly, I will. I know some of you are tired of this joke, but I will let face butter go and pursue a greater crusade if they don't bring up the idea of tapes or I will never let go of face butter. <laughs> well, face butter is bae. Agreed. Okay, yeah, who, who am I? Of course. I will never get it up either. But I also think never that... Never gonna give it up. <laughs> never gonna spread it out. Oh, man. Never but, gonna land no lakes and dehydrate i don't know you ever do that thing with the land of lakes lady where you fold it up so her knees are her boobs no, no that's no, a no. fun thing I, I would do the thing on um the tootsie roll wrapper or something with the yeah i forget what it is it's like there's some stars and uh i believe it's a tootsie pop perhaps. did i say tootsie roll yeah i meant tootsie pop gross anyway well the, the <laughs> thing that I, not a not a roll fan i'm more of a pop girl myself but anyway the thing i think we are going to see tapes because i think it was hinted at when they have the luke episode where at they're at the safe house and the baby is picking up the recorder mm-hmm. microphone and looking at it. So yeah. I definitely think that's a nod to this. I'm excited in season two to see what kind of deeper game they've been playing. Cause you know, you know, there's some stuff we didn't get. Oh, I know. I know. Oh, I'm excited. Okay, fine. I'm excited for season two. <gasps> oh, look at you coming around. Look at you. Fine. When you come around. <laughs> Green Day did play last night and I could have gone. Oh, did they? And I didn't. I went to see Third Eye Blind recently and it was like, <laughs> Why? But I bought a crop top. So what are you going to do? Oh, good for you. Girl. I know. I need to wear it to like yoga or something. It'd be lovely. It'd be like, hey, I'm here to yoga. All right, guys. So um, the next thing that we're going to cover in our next episode is I'd like to take a whole day to just soak this in and record it is the movie. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, I think we need to watch it together. Let's and then snacks. We're going to have to record a long ass thing. Yeah. And I'm so excited to watch it because I just watched when I was in first class. I watched <laughs> before I got into Angels in America. I watched Bonnie and Clyde, which Ooh, I had never seen. Faye Dunn's. It was fascinating to uh-huh. watch. Boy, I'm excited. the 70s, man. Boy. But, uh, what a time to be alive. So anyway, watching Miss Faye Dunaway mm-hmm. as Serena Joy, Robert Duvall as a commander, Natasha Richardson, R.I.P. R.I.P. As Offred. Wear a helmet when I you forget, I forget who plays Nick in that, if he's anybody. Ooh, I think it's, um, he's very handsome. I don't remember his name, though. Uh, and Elizabeth McGovern as Moira. Oh. Elizabeth McGovern. Wait, is... Okay, I know Elizabeth McGovern is like, she plays a mom a bunch. Okay, I She's know in Downton she Abbey as yes, yes, Cora. Yes. And uh, she like stealth snuck up on me in Downton Abbey as my f- secret favorite character in performance. <laughs> like we used to make merciless fun of her in the beginning. And then like, by the end, I was like, she is a genius. Cora, Downton Abbey, don't drop the soap. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> but her performance Ooh. in Ragtime okay. in particular and her performance in this movie, which I watched at in some first point. Class? No, no, no. <laughs> this is actually like a year ago. I watched it. It's on YouTube. I just watched the whole thing. Okay. Well, I'm really anyway, excited. It's, it's, it's not that the movie is good <laughs> because it came out in like 1990 and we were all in a weird place as a country. Yeah. None of us had seen Hook yet. None of us had seen Hook yet. Actually, it's contemporaneous with the timeline of Angels in America. So Whoa. that'll be really interesting to think about. Interesting. For moi. <laughs> So we'll do that. Um, yeah, we'll do that. And then in the meantime, please rate and review us on iTunes. Please pay attention to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash read all over. We're constantly posting there. And we're on Twitter. You can find Molly. She's at Sirius Molly. And Kelly is just at Kelly Anakin. Yep. Yep. Locked nice. it down. Tweet us. We'd love to talk to you. And as always, Nolite te bastardes carborundorum. I'm not that Gilead. That was some good vocal fry. Thank you.